0: This is Rodrigo, and this is the Ether Podcast. And today we are super excited because we're continuing our series on how to study the Bible. And if you've seen our last video, uh, we talked about exegesis. And today on our podcast, we wanted to sort of provide some examples of exegeting. And so we're going to go around, we all pick different passages. for which we sort of analyzed it and try to draw uh, the original meaning if you will and if you haven't seen our video we're going to do a quick overview of what exegesis is and to put it very simply exegesis is basically taking uh, many of the factors under which the original biblical text was written and taking that into account when we read and what I mean is is the authors of the Bible wrote the Bible during a specific time for a specific occasion, and it was directed towards a specific audience? And many times we read the Bible as if it was if it was written for us, like us modern us. But the reality is is that the entirety of the Bible was written for ancient people, and a lot of times to fully understand Scripture, we have to. Draw the meaning out of the words, and really take into account all the aforementioned factors. And uh, I think one of the big rules of Bible interpretation is that the Bible cannot mean to us what it did not mean to the original audience.
1: Yeah, I think that the 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 purpose of exegesis is to get back to that original intended meaning. And one of the, as you get into all these biblical terms, one of the ones that trips you up is hermeneutics, which we'll get to next time or later, Yes, which is more about what does it mean for me? But exegesis is the first part of what did it mean to the author? What was he trying to say to the audience in which he was writing? Because we have to keep remembering that, especially the The New Testament authors, they had no idea that the New Testament was looming in the future, Right, that they were just writing stories that a guy like Luke was writing because something amazing had happened, and I've got to investigate this, and I've got to record what happened. And Luke specifically, he was writing for the benefit of probably a patron that he had in this guy named Theophilus. And so he wasn't thinking about how this was all going to work together in the Bible, and people are going to be reading hundreds and thousands of years from now. He was writing for somebody that was living at the same time as him. And so exegesis is being able to get back to what was he trying to say at that time? And we're not worrying about applying it to ourselves yet, but we want to make sure that we're hearing the word as the original recipients would have heard it, to find out that original intent of the words of the Bible.
0: We're really excited about what we're going to talk about today. Um, We all picked different passages in the Bible to basically exegete. And so, uh, Rachel was the most excited about what she wanted to share. So, Rachel, why don't you go first? Why don't you tell us what passage you're talking about and what you exegeted?
2: All right. Well, I'm not going to really talk about what I exegeted. I may talk about that a little bit. But I want to talk more about the process that I went through. Um, So, we each divvied up different things. So, I got... The New Testament letters. Um, and so the first scripture that came to mind for me was Galatians five, nineteen. So me growing up in the church, every time I would hear a preacher or someone say, Now turn to Galatians five. Mm-hmm. There was always this, ooh, he's <laughs> gonna bring out the sin scripture. <laughs>
1: Just the uh, assumption.
2: Right. All you had to say was Galatians 5. And because
1: there's actually. nothing else in the entire chapter.
2: Exactly. And that's what we're going to talk about. Um, so I remember when I was studying the Bible with teens, the uh, thing I kept thinking was, how do I get them to not look at Christianity as just a bunch of rules, like a bunch of do's and don'ts? and it was when i started looking at galatians 5 that i realized i was teaching it as a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts because i was focusing really on galatians 5:19 through 24 and if i if the way i was teaching it and the passage i was reading it is a, it can look like a bunch of do's and don'ts just by reading that passage um, So I'm going to walk you through what I did last week. And I've done this before with this passage, but I kind of redid it because it was years ago that I did it. Um, I think it's always important when you come to the Bible, no matter what you're reading, even if you've read it a lot, to always come from a perspective of having fresh eyes, trying to learn something new from it. I think having that open mindset really helps with what comes next. Um, so, in the Bible that I have physically, I, I have a physical Bible, I have a couple physical Bibles, and then I also have Bibles on my app, I mean, on my phone. Um, in my physical Bible, it, before each book, the um, people who wrote it put just a small summary of each book. And it's, you know, a couple of sentences, but I think sometimes it's very easy just to kind of read over that because you just jump into the scriptures. So what I did is I just read the introduction of Galatians. Um, And one of the things the intro was talking about was that Paul was trying to counter teaching uh, on Christians needing to be circumcised. And then handily enough, the people who did the introduction also gave me a scripture to kind of summarize the entire book on, and it's Galatians 2.16, and it says a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So even just having that as a starting point, just first, just going to the passage, like I said, I, I started out with the focus of Galatians 5, 19 through 24, um, if I have the mindset of if the main point of the whole book is a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith, I mean, obviously you can see that right away in Galatians 5.19 because it starts off, you know, the acts of the simple nature are obvious and it goes through a whole long list and then it ends with, but the fruit of the spirit and it goes through a whole long list. So even just right there in the, that passage, you kind of see that dichotomy of the the law and faith in Jesus. Um, and what I've done in the past with this passage, particularly um, nineteen through twenty-one. Uh, Especially like when I've studied the Bible with people in the past using this scripture, as I've gone to the dictionary, because there's a lot of words in this passage that maybe we don't use as much. And I've always done it from the English perspective, you know, just using the English words that are in this passage and going to an English dictionary. Um, What I've done recently um, is I have on my app. I have several Bible apps on my phone. I tried to go from a perspective of, what could you do that you have complete access to? You guys don't have to buy anything. So everything that I'm talking about is free. You have access to it. Our audience, right? Our audience, yes, sorry. Audience, it's free. You can download these apps. There's several really good Bible apps that you can download. And so I downloaded a Bible app where you can, Um, switch back and forth. Many of them, you can switch back and forth between many different translations. And in one of my apps, I have what's called a Hebrew-Greek interlinear Bible. So you can go to a passage and then go to the Hebrew-Greek interlinear portion and on the left column, it has the Hebrew or Greek. And then you can you can actually look up definitions of the actual words. And so that's what I've done with this passage, um, is go back to the Greek, go back to what Paul wrote. Now, I am not a Greek scholar. I do not read Greek. I do not understand the Greek. Um, but this, um, this app I can use in a similar way except in a different language. I feel like doing it that way, I can get sort of more to the heart of maybe what Paul was talking about, using the different words that he used um, and seeing the definitions and the way that it was used in Greek. Um,
1: Which app are you talking about?
2: um, So it's literally just called Holy Bible. Wow. (laughs) And I know it's very (laughs) nondescript. It's a brown app that says Holy Bible. The U version one? No, not the U version one. Um, I have two versions, and I do have the U version one for one, but there's another one that just says Holy Bible, and it's Hebrew Greek interlinear, is one of the versions you can read from. And so, like I said, I like to do that because I feel It helps first remind me that these texts were written in a different language, that what I'm reading is a translation. And so I can learn a lot by looking up the English words in the dictionary, but I feel like I can really get deeper into maybe more of what Paul was going for when I go to the Greek interlinear Bible, and I see the Greek words that he used and then how those Greek words were defined. Uh Um, So, okay, so that's where I started with Galatians 5, 19 through 24. But then, like you said, Ryan, um, as you start to read it, you realize, I mean, of course, as you're looking at it, you realize that it's not in isolation even though sometimes we like to or i have read that in isolation but even just reading so the uh esb version of galatians five nineteen says now the works of the flesh are evident and even just that word now tells you that it's connecting something so it's connecting this thought of the works of the sinful nature being evident to what was said previously and in so many bibles we have these like mini headers so you know we have books and chapters but then we also have headers that kind of sometimes break up chapters Uh and so in this one you don't even have to go back that far like you could just go back first just to verse 16 um if you you know, don't have time to even read the whole chapter. So what I did in this is I just started going out bit by bit. So I focused on Galatians 5.19, but then I said, okay, well, let me read the whole section that it falls into. And again, you can see just right in verse 16, it says walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And it keeps going on about this, how the flesh wants what's opposed to the spirit, and the spirit wants what's what is opposed to the flesh. And then Paul goes into defining well, what is the flesh? And after that, he goes into defining what the spirit is. Um and, you know, even verse um verse 17, it says about this opposition, the spirit and the flesh being in opposition from each other, you know, at the end, it says to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And if you really want to get into it, you know, that wording reminds you of what do you guys know what it reminds you of? No. Romans seven.
0: Okay.
2: Right. So it's the whole, I, what I want to do, I don't do. And What I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. So you could go kind of in that direction if you wanted to. I did not. I stayed in Galatians. Um, But again, like I said, I saw this whole thing. If if Galatians 2 is central, again, it's this whole idea of the law and faith in Jesus being um, opposed to each other. And so even from here, just in verse 16, I read a different version. And I know I've said this on the podcast a lot. My current favorite version of the Bible is the complete Jewish Bible. Um, And I just really enjoyed the word choice that was used in that version. Um, reading that version it caused me to want to read the entire chapter of Galatians and so I was reading the entire chapter of Galatians in a different version Um, and in the beginning of chapter five is when Paul is talking a lot about circumcision and uncircumcised and circumcision and one of the points he's trying to make earlier in Galatians five is essentially um, you know if you accept circumcision, you're accepting the entire law. And he says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Um, It says that when you accept circumcision, you're obliged to keep the whole law. Paul is trying to make this argument because of what, you know, like I said, was in the introduction um, to, to combat this, this, teaching of trying to get Christians to be circumcised. And he's pitting these two ideas together, that if you go in that direction, you're really going away from Christ. You're going away from what you're justified by, which is your faith in Christ, not by doing the law. And if you do the law, this is the path that's gonna actually lead you down which then brings us back to Galatians 5.19, because he talked about, well, this is the path of the flesh, this is the path of the law, and this is the path of the spirit, and they're in opposition to each other. And I think all of this has really helped me teach this scripture differently to people so that it's not just about, don't do this, don't do that, but it's really about which direction am I heading? Am I heading in a direction towards the spirit? Am I heading in a direction more towards the law? Um, And so as I was thinking about all this, um, I was reading, I saw in the different versions that some different word choices were used, and so that caused me to want to look further into that. I think sometimes we can very easily say, well, you know, this version (laughs) uses that word and this version uses this word. And they're they're very related and we can just kind of skip over things. Me being an English major person and really into words, when there's a different word choice, it always intrigues me. So I think, oh, why did they choose that? What made them decide that? Maybe I need to look further into what that word is, which again, you can use like a Greek interlinear Bible to see what the Greek or Hebrew means. I went a different route. Um, there is a version of the Bible that I've recently gotten oh. into um, that is the Orthodox Jewish Bible. Um, it's a very hard version to read because it's basically like the King James version of the Bible. And it pulls in a lot of Jewish words, even in the New Testament, um, which I know that that's a whole other conversation. But I like it because it helps remind me that basically the majority of the writers of the New Testament came from a Jewish right. background, and so there was a worldview that they had, and a culture connection that they had that I just don't have. And so reading the Orthodox Jewish Bible and having them put in those Jewish words, I mean, literally you can take those words and just go to Google, type in the Jewish word, and you can find a definition for that word. So it's not challenging. Um, it's just when you first look at it, it can feel kind of daunting. Um so I did this all in about 25 minutes of just reading and having these things. Obviously, I have all these things on my phone or I was using, You, I mean, you can use different versions even on Bible Gateway. I know that that's a, a big source for people is Bible Gateway. Um, but for me, I felt like, like I said, I know we're talking more about the I'm talking more about the process part than about what I actually learned from it. I could do probably a whole other conversation on what I learned from all of this stuff. But I do feel like by doing all this, I have a richer understanding of Galatians 5.19. I feel like I see it more in the context that it's not just Paul listing a bunch of stuff because...
0: What it's trying to say, uh, right. he
2: wants to or because I think I could take it in a very legalistic way. Um, but seeing it in the bigger context of this idea of which direction am I heading in, it's the law and it's the spirit, it's circumcision or faith in Jesus. Um, it was just really helpful for me to see that these two things are battling in this scripture. And then I didn't even go into reading the whole book. I have the advantage over the two of you in that my book is really small and um, you guys are reading passages from books that would be more challenging. Galatians is a book that you could read fairly easily in in an easy sitting, you know, just reading through the whole thing. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why the epistles are so well-loved by Christians because, you know, they are, they're shorter, I think, in that way. Um, whereas, you know, Rodrigo, you're going to be reading Leviticus. That's not an easy book to read in one sitting. Um, so that would be something to do further. Like, what I would do from here is probably read the whole book or go chapter by chapter backwards until i get the full picture to really get galatians 519 in its full context
1: yeah it is very easy to pull out some of those verses and just grab them because they they're like literary sound bites where it's something that i can hold on to and we tend to like those checklists but it takes it out of context Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we didn't talk about tonight is, the, is that importance of context. And that's what we're trying to get at with trying to exegete a scripture is to, to figure out what is the context? What does it mean for that original author and audience? And so you got that historical context, but you've also got the literary context of how does it fit within the entire structure? And when we take things out and say, this sounds good, oftentimes we remove it from its context and it can become some, it can mean suddenly something that it was not originally intended to mean. Mm-hmm. So we do have to be careful about that. And sometimes the way that we can study the Bible with ourselves or even at, when we do sermons and things, it's easy to sometimes take a, A snippet of a sermon or a snippet of a scripture, drop it into a sermon so that it hits the point we're trying to make rather than us being, uh, adhering to that original idea Mm -hmm. that the author was trying to get across. I Mm -hmm. picked this, this, this line because it has the word that I was looking for Mm -hmm. rather than it holding to the idea that I'm trying to communicate.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, if there was a time in my life where I kind of thought, well, what's the big deal of trying to get what its original meaning is, if it means something to me already? Um, But, you know, if we believe that the Bible is inspired, and that, like the scriptures say that men were carried along by the Holy Spirit, then... I should really want to know what the Holy Spirit says. <laughs> I should really want to know what God says and not just rely on what I think he said or create something that I think he said. Really trying to understand, that's part of you know communication theory is, is just understanding the meaning of, of what is being communicated. We all want to be understood. We don't want to be misunderstood. I think the Bible is the same way.
0: Right. I think especially for the epistles, um, the epistles were very specific to an occasion. Like They were all written to address a specific issue in a specific place with a specific group of people. And I think and, and this, thing, this goes back to one of the things that we've talked about on our previous podcast in this series. Um, I think when we understand that the Bible is about God and he's the one that's trying to say something and it's not really about us, then I think we really ought to pursue making justice to to even dare i say god's intent in in addressing some of these things, you know I think like Ultimately, the one of the reasons why the Bible can't mean to us what it didn't mean to its original audience is because God was talking to that audience for a specific reason. And I think even you you can't. I think you can't even if if you believe that the Word of God is indeed inspired. I think that's something that you can't really take mm-hmm. out of the Holy yeah, equation. Yeah. So,
2: for example, in Galatians, um, like I said, the introduction sets up the idea that. Paul is addressing something very specific that was happening the whole concept of circumcision and should Christians who are not Jewish do they need to circumcise because that was a big deal in the first century church we see that all over the New Testament that this was something that they struggled with obviously in in our day and age that is not something we struggle with really it's not a conversation that we're having. We're not going into hermeneutics now. I think the basic idea of following a law versus following the spirit is a concept that we can all um, connect with because I think that is human nature. But the specific issue was definitely you have to you have to keep it in that context. so we can we can learn things from it because human nature is the same, no matter where we are. But you know, I, like I said, I, I have taught Galatians five in a way, Galatians five nineteen in a way that is very much just a list of don'ts and then a list of do's to to try and understand what sin is. I've used it as a definition for what sin is but then when you kind of read it just even in the whole chapter that was not i mean paul is giving examples but it's set in a very a larger picture a larger context which i think is actually more rich and teaching that than just focusing on the the verses 19 through
0: 24 right do you want to do your passage
1: Yeah, totally. So I wanted to do something out of the Gospels, um, and I was going to do a parable and decided instead to look at a story called The Rich Young Ruler, which is a story that many of us are very familiar with. The basic story is that this guy comes up to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to be saved? Jesus says, you need to follow the 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 laws. And he says, I've done that since I was a boy. And Jesus says, you need to sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. And the guy turns away and leaves because he has a lot of money and wealth. And that's one bridge too far for him. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says something along the lines of, it's so difficult for the rich to get to heaven. It's Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And I like this this scripture because, one, it's very familiar to us. And before we can get to what Jesus is talking to and saying to you and me in 2018, I want to try and get to what is happening in that day and age. I want to be able to know am I clear on the story background? Before anything is said and anything is done, what do I know and what do I, I have at my disposal? And so didn't do a, a whole bunch of background stuff simply because in a case like this, most of what we have and most of what we need is given to us. So one of the things that we see is that it's not a story. So Jesus isn't making anything up. He's, he's with his disciples. And knowing the audience is always very important so that we know why Jesus is saying what he is saying. Well, who's he saying it to? And so he's not telling a story so we can know that we read it in a certain way. We know that this guy was some kind of believer. We don't know to what degree. It doesn't say he's a Jewish ruler, it doesn't say he's a Gentile ruler. It just says that he comes to Jesus. Recognizes Jesus as some authority figure on knowing how to inherit eternal life. How do I get to heaven? How do I move beyond this this world and be uh, where I want to be? Whether that's paradise or happiness or bliss or however he's looking at it, all he does is comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, "You need to obey the laws," and he gives them some examples. And the guy says, I, I have obeyed those since I was a boy. So we know that this guy is a, is a believer of, of some kind. We also know that he's got great wealth because of what Jesus is going to tell him. Mm-hmm. And he's also probably some kind of ruler, as Luke uh, tells us. So when this guy is first introduced, Luke tells us that he was a ruler, um, even though the other Gospels don't tell us that. And an important thing for us to have in mind is that this goes back to this idea that the people had at that time that God would bless the people he was pleased Mm -hmm. with and would curse those people that he was displeased with. And so when this guy comes running up, they see that he's young, they see that he's rich, the immediate assumption is that this guy is doing everything Mm -hmm. right and that God is pleased with him. And at the end of the story, Jesus is, is saying that it's so hard for those kinds of people to actually make it to heaven. And it totally throws them for this loop because they, their, their thought process was such that I, I thought that people that lived like this, that they were automatically blessed mm-hmm. in God's eyes. And I think that knowing just even that piece helps us to start pulling apart the meaning and the significance of the story. And it'll have incredible impact for us in 21st century United States culture where we live in a very wealthy society and knowing sort of this idea that they had in the background and and how Jesus is talking to us. Otherwise, what we could start to see is that Jesus is telling everybody to give all their money to to the poor, and that's not what he's saying. He's saying that this guy had a problem because he was wealthy,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so we can then start that conversation of, well, what does that mean for me, and what is he telling me, um, but just knowing that context of what was going on really starts to, bring this story into light
0: Mm -hmm. no i think it's uh that story i think it's it's interesting because i feel like it can be read so many different ways and i think certainly and i don't mean to to put anybody down but i feel like a lot of times we read that scripture in the around the times in which we're trying to raise money for something and usually the point that's being made is, is sort of like, hey. Like I've heard so many times like, you know, this young man was rich, and in this country, if you live in this country, you're some of the richest people in the world. And and it's almost like, A, this is on a side that has nothing to do with scripture. I feel like the whole idea of a uh, comparative riches falls apart somewhere, so, somewhere, and but that's a matter for another yes, day.
2: We've had many but, conversations about this.
0: Yes, but I I do feel like at the end of the day um, Jesus wasn't as much and again, if you take some of the stuff that you're talking about, right? And even like what his disciples understood like the fact that they they go at at the end of the whole interaction, they go like, oh man like if this guy can't make it then who can? Because again, like you said, one of the things that they believed is that if you were rich, you were being blessed by God, and so in their minds they're going, "Man, if this guy who's blessed can't make it to have to the kingdom of God, like, then who can?" And I think it, it, it's really it, it, at some point it really becomes a question of like, so is, is it really I think in many ways, Jesus was challenging popular notion, and I think again, these are all things that you sort of need to take into account to figure out what does this really mean? And I don't know that we're there yet. I do think, you know, the next podcast we do is going to be more about like, hey, what does this mean for us kind of thing. But I'm just throwing that out there because I think there's a lot of exegetical uh, elements to this that can really help us determine well, so what does Ryan, this mean?
2: I, I really like what you said about um, when reading the Gospels, there are a lot of times where all the information we need is already there. We just have to look at it and and think about it. I know for me, um, when years ago when I was reading the Book of John, I realized there were a whole bunch of festivals that John kept referring to, and I would read the passage and then realize I knew nothing about the festival. I knew nothing of what that was, and so, like you said, there are there are details in that passage that you can just you can already see it's already given to you, but to stop, to slow down, to think about it, to read it, um, I think is really important when understanding it because we just want to get to the teaching part. (laughs) You know what I mean? And not really dig into more of the details and the setting up of everything.
1: Yeah. I think there's a couple of things that can... Throw us off, I think, or a couple of keys that can help. The first one is that we have to constantly be working our way back to what the author's train of thought was. And we have to ask all right, what's his point? And we can easily get thrown off from the author's intent by focusing on insignificant details and getting too wrapped up in the different pieces. But we also can learn a lot about the significance by knowing those details. And so we start to see the power of the Passover and what how that ties back into the whole story of the Israelites and the Jewish faith and the people and then Jesus' sacrifice. That's that's huge. Mm. So you you can't overlook that. But sometimes we can get caught up with, okay, what does Passover mean? And we can let ourselves go down a rabbit hole. But we always want to make sure that we come back and fight our way back to figuring out what's the author's train of thought mm-hmm. here? What is he trying to say? And in the Gospels and in many narratives throughout the Bible, it does provide this, the background that we need. But in your case, Rachel, of what you're reading in Galatians, mm-hmm. those letters and those epistles are only one half of the conversation mm-hmm. So we always have to try and figure out, well, what's the other half, what's going on? What's the context? What's the reason why Paul or Peter wrote this letter? What, what is going on in the, the environment and in that culture that prompts this, right. um, whereas a narrative tends to to give you a lot of that information up front, and they tell you where they are, what's going on. Um, but, yeah, you, you have to be aware of a lot of that background stuff, which isn't easy. It's, it's very difficult, and a lot of times Bible dictionaries and, and great commentaries help us out with those mm-hmm. kinds of things.
0: Yeah. I think that's especially true when you get to the stuff that I'm talking about, because I think um, what you guys said, I think it's true in that I think not always in the case of the Gospels, but a lot of times there's a lot of things within the text that gives you a lot of the background stuff. I think the same is true for the epistles. This is not necessarily true for what I'm talking about, which is the book of Leviticus. Mm
2: Bring and it. I think th-
0: let me let me say this off the bat and and part of the reason why I was excited to do the book of Leviticus is because I think it's one of those books that people just skip and two or three chapters in I think people very quickly make the judgment of like this has nothing to do with me mm-hmm. because what the book of Leviticus talks about is how to uh, basically perform a certain degree of not it's not all about that, but the, the, the big majority of the book is directed towards uh, basically how to perform rituals. And um, because it's a book that not a lot of people are familiar with, I'm going to read all of chapter one, which is only 16 verses, 17 verses long, just so you understand. But before I get to that, uh, I do want to throw out there some um, exegetical things to consider. And I think when it comes to the Old Testament, in particularly with a lot of the books that are part of the law, which Leviticus certainly is a part of, one of the things that is super helpful is to take into account the whole story of Israel. And I'll tell you what I mean. Because even to understand off the bat what Leviticus 1 uh m- meant to its original audience. You sort of have to know um, why do we need this book in the first place? And I think this is a factor that we don't consider a lot uh, when we read the Old Testament. You know, the the, the, the Jews didn't corner the, mar- the market on uh, legal writings, which again, Mm -hmm. Leviticus is is supposed to be a book of laws, and specifically a book of how to perform ritual. And in ancient times, there were many uh, societies and many religions that had similar documents. And I think one of the things that is important to understand is that many of the laws of Israel are written on a backdrop that doesn't exist in isolation but it exists in the context of the nations that surround them. And one of the things that's important to understand is that one of the things that the laws of Israel were supposed to do was to basically set apart the nation of Israel from the surrounding nations. And the book of Leviticus is a perfect example of that, Because there is actually a record of other books similar to this that are uh, books on how to perform ritual. And one of the interesting things about those books is that many times they they, uh, uh, contain uh, like how to do magic, basically. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is like the priests in Israel and the priests, say, in Assyria didn't do the same things. Like there's no incantation that the priests in Israel are asked to do, or there's no like, hey, mix this with that and make a flame that's this color Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And the reality is that we know from records from other places that that's the case. Like many of the ritual, instructional ritual books that we have from nations surrounding Israel contain a lot of like mystical and magical Mm -hmm. stuff. And the whole backdrop of the book of Leviticus is that uh, God is basically dwelling amongst the people of Israel. When they build the tabernacle, he comes and his presence rests within this tent. And the presence of God amongst them is special. And them having access to them is special. And in many ways, the book, the instructions of the book of Leviticus is is kind of instructing them of like, hey, if you're going to be in the presence of this super special thing, then that means that you yourself have to behave in a special kind of way. Mm -hmm. That if you're going to have access to God's atonement and if you're going to have access to his presence that there's a certain way in which to approach that because God is holy and you his people are going to be holy and again I think it's important to understand all of these things when you approach a book like the, the one on Leviticus because it just makes everything make sense and I'll, and I'll show you why in a second um, the other thing that I want to talk about um, as far as Jesus is concerned, and the reason, and again, part of the, the slant that I was taking with this is like, again, I think many people don't read the book of Leviticus because they think that it has nothing to do with them. But consider this one of the things that Jesus says in the Gospels is that the law and the prophets talk about him. Mm-hmm. That he is contained within the law and the prophets. And so to a certain degree, in order to really understand Jesus, we have to understand the law. Jesus was the fulfillment of said law. And a lot of times, for example, we think that the only places in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus are in, in the prophetic books. But that's not the case. In Deuteronomy. Like a lot of these messianic prophecies and stuff. Right. But like in yeah. other places, like in Deuteronomy and in, uh, in some parts of Leviticus, like it's not necessarily a messianic, uh, people don't necessarily consider a messianic prophecy per se, but it does talk about like the one that's going to come. And again, Jesus himself says that the law and the prophets, like that he's in there. And, and, I, and again, I say all this to sort of uh, prep you. Because we're about to enter into a segment of our podcast that we call Reading. So this is uh, <laughs> Leviticus 1. And again, part of the reason why I want to read this is because not many people read it. And I want you to understand what I'm talking about and explain it. Right? So I'm going to read all of chapter 1. And again, bear with me because it's not a very long chapter. But I do, in an effort to exegete, I would do. I, d- I think it is important that you know what the text is. So here we go. It says, uh, Leviticus one. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you should bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If this offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces, and the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest shall arrange the pieces, the head, and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar, but its entrails and its legs it shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If this gift of burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep of, of, or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. And he shall cut into pieces with its head and its fat. And the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire of the altar. But the entrails and the legs shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma unto the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering to the, to, uh, of or turtle doves or pigeons, and the priest shall bring, shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it in the altar. Its blood shall be drained on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar to eat to the, on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tower it open by its wings, but shall not sever it, sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Again, this is a whole deal of instruction. And if you don't come with an understanding of why this is, you may just think that it's tedious. But there's a, again, there's there's some things happening here, and you have to sort of imagine how the people of Israel would have understood this, all right? And I sort of alluded to it a little bit before. God dwells amongst them, right? And it is their understanding that they're supposed to they're supposed to approach God in a certain way. And God is very specific. I mean, even when you think about the fact that uh, for for these. animal offerings, that the entrails and the feet would be treated separately. And what I mean by that is, is obviously the feet are dirty, right? And the entrails, uh-huh. if you think about it, they're sort of the dirty part of the animal. And those almost have to be purified. They have to be washed with water before they are put in the fire. These animals couldn't just be any kinds of animals. They had to be choice animals. And again, this is all to say, like, hey, there's a special presence amongst you, and therefore you need to approach it in a special way. The people – and I think, again, the, the people of God are supposed to be special. The people of God are supposed to be, uh, in a sense, different. They're, they, they're just like they're God. They're supposed to be holy and you know one of the one of the interesting things about this is that the burnt offering uh was supposed to be able to be done at any time of year like this was not for a specific uh festival this was not for a specific occasion like anybody could go it had to be at a certain time of day and the time of day changed depending on the season but this burnt offering was a was an offering for atonement meaning that the people were bringing either this animal from a herd or from a flock or a bird, they were bringing it to basically atone for their sin. That they understood that they did something against God. And in order to atone for that, blood had to be spilled. But even that blood, again, because the presence of God is special, needs to be treated in a special way. And I think there is there is so much, again, from a, from an exegetical standpoint, that we can. Let me re, let me put this in another way. I think for certain books in the Bible, right, without doing proper exegesis, engaging in them just doesn't make as much sense than when we do. Hopefully what's happened when I've sort of explained the book of Leviticus to our audience and even some of the stuff in this chapter, you go like, oh, man, that makes sense. I want to know more. But I think one of one of the things I think when you begin to talk about exegesis and you begin to talk about the, reading the Bible in a more careful and, um, dare I say, uh, a little bit more of a structured way, some people are turned off by it. Because they think it's going to take the richness of the Bible away. But I think it's completely the opposite, especially in in the case of a book like Leviticus. I think, again, that a lot of people skip, right? But exegesis really allows you to be drawn to the book and understand why it was written and therefore why you should engage with it.
1: Yeah. I do think that it I like the idea of it being rich that I think most of the time it does take an expert of sorts to help us uncover what the text can be about because we are removed from these scriptures in the sense of their significance by 2000 years at the most recent and up to Three or 4,000 years at the most distant. And so life is completely different. And I think that the experts for most of us are going to be the people who are writing these commentaries. But if we don't connect ourselves to the experts, if we don't think, if we don't allow ourselves to be taught... We tend to stay at a very surfacey kind of level and understanding of the Bible, and those stories become kind of hackneyed and trite, and they feel like stories for little kids, right? Because they're the same stories that we've heard since we were five. Um, but as we get older, as Paul talks about, our minds need to mature, and we need to think not as children anymore. And we need to think as adults. And that takes learning um, more about the stories and not simply, okay, how am I doing at being loving? How am I doing with being selfless? Am I letting my temper get the best of me? How's my purity? That it's not just these checklists, but it's really understanding that this is a, a Book that shows us about God, and we really begin to see the richness of who God is and His Word for our lives.
2: Yeah, I know Leviticus is uh, it's a hefty book. Uh, it takes it takes a lot, and I know that there are experts who are still delving into it and learning from it and getting things out of it. Um, but even like what you read. Rodrigo um, Leviticus 1 like you were saying about the blood and um, the fact that this was for atonement uh, when you sinned you know I think a modern reader has a hard time reading about burnt offerings right because all we think Uh about is that's awful (laughs) we think about the animal (laughs) we think about what, what is the animal going through? Um, but even from this perspective, God sees sin as a problem. And it needs to be dealt with. Something needs to happen so that he can dwell among his people because sin keeps him separate. From his people, and he needs to come up with a solution so that there's the least amount of separation possible. but this all ties back to Jesus. I mean, this chapter Leviticus one takes you to Jesus, right? Um, and like you like you were saying that it, Jesus says that all the law and the prophets, you know he is the fulfillment of all of that. and um, it is a book that you have to sit with, that you have to think about, that you have to allow yourself to understand things. and and it I think Leviticus out of the three that we talked about today is the most challenge, one of the most challenging to our worldviews because of some of the things it talks about. Like I said, we read Leviticus one and we think those poor animals. I don't know that ancient readers, would have been thinking that way about animals. Um, Totally. So it it really challenges us to, on even levels that we may not even realize, (laughs) that we have to set things aside and the way we see it and just allow for the text to take us in a new direction and not just impose our own
0: worldview on it yeah and even you know it's interesting that you mentioned jesus and again i think there's differing opinion on this but um like even some of the stuff that i've read right that um jesus being a sacrifice for atonement as well in in matthew 27 and verse 35 one of the things that happens is that uh jesus's clothes are distributed among the people that are quote-unquote putting on on the Mm -hmm. altar and in the case of burnt offerings, like the skin was taken off and it was given to the priests. Mm-hmm. And so, even that parallel of Jesus as a burnt offering, there's some element of Leviticus 1 mm-hmm. in there. And, and, and again, I think one of the reasons that uh, understanding the law is crucial to our understanding of the rest of the Bible, even and let me even throw this out there, because I think it's important to say. Uh, if you look at, for uh, for example, the prophets, right? The prophets um, were basically sent to judge nations. And the reason why they were being judged is because they had broken the law. Like, the, the, the prophets aren't coming with any original material, per se. They don't add anything uh, in the way of, like, new laws or new they're they're just merely handed out handing out the consequence of people breaking the law and if you read books like jeremiah and isaiah and all the minor prophets one of the things that you see is that many of the things that that god requires of the nation of israel from the law they they break them and that's why he keeps telling them like hey like if you don't repent something's going to happen to you and even the consequences. Uh, wouldn't have been foreign the people of the nation of Israel because the laws are very clear as to if they follow the law, they're going to be blessed. And if they don't follow the law, certain things are going to happen. And those are the things that God hands out as punishment. Mm -hmm. So again, I think a a book like Leviticus, and again, I think there's so much more here. And I just read one chapter and we didn't even get into even all the details of it. But I think I want to reiterate what my point was, what I was trying to do by talking about all the things that I talked about in Leviticus is that in many cases, exegesis makes us engage with the Bible in a way that gives us more understanding, that gives us a more uh, a, a rich understanding and ultimately a better understanding of God. And we've talked about this all throughout this series and I think it's even true for the, the topic of exegesis. Ultimately, what exegesis allows us to do is to really know the ultimate author of the Bible, which is God. Yeah. So uh, with that, I think this is a perfect place to end this podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed uh, us exegeting some scripture. And again, I, I think we, we were trying to be brief. I don't think that any of us delved into the detail that we may have done so, even mm-hmm. on our personal reading or to the, to the way that pleases our nerdom. <laughs> Uh, but we did want to touch on certain things that hopefully what's your appetite to engage next Jesus for yourself, and uh, and next time we're going to talk about hermeneutics, which is basically the science of interpretation, which really is answering the question of what does it all mean for me, me modern me that lives in 2018. So right. that's going to be interesting as well, and uh, we uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we do want to. Remind you that this is a crowdfunded effort, and we'd uh, greatly appreciate if you become one of our our Patreons and support us in order for us to be able to continue to produce this kind of
2: content. And uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.